You're listening to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. My dad has had big conversations with other people around the world and here in Geneva. He loves it and he's all crazy about it. Remember to have fun listening to it, the Rodolfo Rivas Project. Yeah, go, exactly. Comple- completely by, by, by accident, right? Just stumbling upon my, upon without knowing uh, much. And I think, you know, it's a good way. Again, I'm, I'm a discoverer rather than a planner. Some people are planners and they first plan what they have to do and then they, they do. And then when I, I just discover, I just, yeah, so I went to, I, I knew who George Sardotti was, of course, but, you know, not, not to the full set. I knew I had read reports and that he, his, he had, was a former Pulabadi member, but I didn't, I don't think I even realized what this meant, you know, and how, 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 how much, uh, let's say, wisdom there was, you know, and how, how much experience there was there. And uh, from Milan, so I got this, uh, this, uh, this scholarship, was able to finish the thesis. That was Geraldo Vidigal. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Welcome to it. Geraldo is the coordinator of the LLM in International Trade and Investment Law at the University of Amsterdam. Although he is young, he is a veteran of the international trade world. Ask anyone interested in trade, and they will know of him. I have known Geraldo for a long time, with our professional careers running in parallel. I had the opportunity to sit down with Geraldo during his last visit to Geneva and the conversation was a blast. We covered his origin story, and how his, his career has evolved, and how at every stage of it, he was confident of being at the best place he should be at that precise moment. It may appear he took the scenic route, but he got where he wanted to get all along. We also got into some nitty-gritty of trade, but if trade is not your thing, there are plenty of other aspects worth listening to in this conversation. Geraldo also takes a stab at the new section of the podcast, and he does a great job at it. Stick to the end to listen to that. There are a couple of episodes in the pipeline, so stay tuned. I can wait for you to listen to this one. Subscribe if you still need to. I hope you enjoy the conversation. The Rodolfo Rivas Project is available on all major platforms or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Please help spread the word by recommending us to your friends or your enemies. A small act like liking, subscribing and or reviewing is greatly appreciated. The views, thoughts and opinions shared in the conversation belong to the individuals sharing them and do not necessarily represent the views of their employers. It's great to have you uh, as a guest of my podcast, finally. We've been hoping to do this for a while, and I'm happy that we are here now. Yeah, well, thank you for starting by putting me in the spotlight. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm finally being able to do this. It's great. I, I, I mean, although you're... But the reason why we didn't do it is because we're both busy, and you are in Amsterdam, I'm here in Geneva, but you spend a lot of time here in Geneva. Yeah, well, there's always uh, very interesting events. Uh, I sometimes bring the students here once a year, uh, when, of course, uh, you know, uh, sanitary conditions permitting, and uh, I just like to come over sometimes just to check the temperature. And we'll get a bit to that, but tell me about your origin story. So yes, uh, I've, as I've told you, I, I've listened to a few of the former episodes just before coming here to just try to think again what uh, you know what what this was like and it's uh, very nice that you start like this and i think it's one of the great features of this podcast that you, it's you. not you don't get into you know trade battles uh, well, uh, to start with and uh, so i, I think it's uh, dick bakraju who you know was one of the, the lawyers at, at at the law firm here and who who knows stuff it was just we just had a career talk and he just told students that life is uh, a career is a mix of good decisions and happy coincidences yeah i very much agree with that yeah and so i think it it was all a, a bit random because i i went to law school i come from a family of, of lawyers essentially you know half my cousins are graduated really? in law yeah. and your father also yes exactly and then oh, the, but let me ask you because i i don't know i've seen some pictures of you on facebook uh on like a farm or and I was wondering about that that's the that's good as like so it's again the spotlight <laughs> please don't write me on Facebook if you're listening to this the the 
I, I, my mom comes from the countryside and my, my dad is a, a city guy. So it's, it's like his family, is, he, his is the, the lawyer side and my mom's side are, you know, farmers. And, you know, my, my, my uncle still has breeds dogs and, and, and breeds horses as well. Has one of the, yeah, it's, and it's quite big in the field. Um, so so it's, 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 it's really uh, nice and has a horseback riding school. So um, it's the, the farm was, I mean, you probably saw it when I was uh, stuck there for six months during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, so, yeah. In so you spend your time there. So in 2021, I went back for my Christmas, not regular Christmas visit to Brazil, and then I never, couldn't come back. So I spent uh, seven months stuck uh, in, a, in a rural area, which is a much better place to be stuck in than Amsterdam inside. And it's a rural Brazil, just, you know, going biking around. Yeah, uh, in bike, I saw the yeah, bike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was, a, I mean, it was a perfect place to spend the pandemic, if you know. And uh, during that time, we're, ah, I'm getting ahead. So continue telling me about your family of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, going to law school was never an, an issue. I, I always thought, like many people do, that, you know, going to law school just gives you this general, uh, you know, education that you can then do other things with. And then, of course, it becomes very hard to escape the law as a profession. Um, but then going into trade was a different matter. And what happened was in 2002, 2003, Brazil, Canada, Embraer, uh, the Embraer, uh, Airbus, uh, Emperor Air, Air uh, Bombardier dispute was going on, and it was you know in the newspapers every day, and I started getting getting interested in that. But before that, you were working as a lawyer. Well, no, that was like, I was in law school, huh? so this was, yeah, yeah, I was in like at university, and that this this dispute emerged uh, between Brazil and Canada, Emperor Bombardier, and uh, I I got interested in it, and I went to talk to the person who in the university. I knew, knew something about trade, and that happened to be Celso Laffer, who is one of the legends of, of this building. Uh, you know, he still pops up in conversation, even though he has, you know, his, his uh, in time in the limelight was more than 20 years ago. And he, and yeah, and he, he accepted to supervise my, my, my graduation thesis, you know, as you do when you have a five-year legal education. And then I made a mistake. I printed out the, the panel report uh, as a, you know, third, fourth year old, fourth year law student. And I couldn't get past page 20 because of course it just starts and then you have the list of abbreviations, list of former cases. And it's still, you know, whenever I have to teach students about the, the system, I always rem it always makes me re go back to that time when I got to page 20 and it was just procedural issues and I'm, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make anything out of it. Um, and of course, this even these days, subsidies remains an issue that, you know, even to know, even if you are a WTO lawyer, knowing the intricacies of the subsidies agreement is completely a whole other thing. Uh, but anyway, so I ended up writing about something very different, which was uh, the international relations and uh, the realist tradition and Hans Morgenthau and Raymond Aron, which are, uh, you know, Sassolaffer happens to be uh, in legal philosophy as well, so it was perfect for that. And thinking about how the WTO relates to this. So does the WTO have a, create a challenge to what these people thought was possible, right? So back in the day, these people thought that having an international judiciary was something that would be impossible, that would never happen because states would never allow it to happen. Um, But we're pretty much there now. Yeah, we were, we were there for a while, yeah. And then we can, we can go back to this later on. Uh, so yeah, so I, that's how I got interested in trade law. Uh, so from that, um, you know, I, I did my, my master's there and then I was a corporate lawyer for a while. Um, good, good to, just to get my bar and, and you know, do a bit of work. And, and it was interesting there because uh, what I really enjoyed about that was, you know, of course, people like the, to see the mergers and acquisitions. What I really liked was to see how people relate by, through these contracts. Right? People drive, drive, you know, draft these contracts and how they structure power relations. And you have capital from here, capital from there. And then you have uh, regulatory issues and how do, how do people draft these, these documents in order to govern their own relations. Um, and, 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 and that was nice, but I still wanted to go back to my international, uh, you know, career. So that was still, like, behind you. You wanted to get back to it. The international aspects of it. Yeah, so I, I got a lot. I did a lot of international law in, in, at university. I did the JESSUP um, uh, and uh, it's a moot court uh, for, for, for international law. And then I, yeah, and so I, I definitely, that, that was always in my mind. And then when I became a lawyer, was working there, and I decided to apply for a master's, which sounded like not only you know, something that 
would take me there, but it would also be give me my, my grandmother a, a, a good reason for me to leave a prestigious law firm um, uh, and for, for a month. So I ended up going to Paris, uh, where I, I, I did my master's, and I was supervised by Hélène Ruiz Fabry, who now has been a panelist in a number of EU cases. So it was, again, happy coincidence, right? How, what did I know? Did I know? I didn't even know who she was back then. And she ended up also being my employer later on at the Max Planck in, in Luxembourg. And from there, I got quite good grades. I did an, an internship at the Brazilian mission uh, here in Geneva. This was which year? Uh, this was 2009. 2009. With, with Vera Thorstensen, who's also a bit of a legend uh, uh, because of, you know, she's this very outspoken economist who, you know, tells lawyers what to do. And... Uh, and so from then, well, actually, Roberto Zevedo was the ambassador back then. So that was also really interesting. Um, and, and of course, then he became later on uh, the, the, the DG. And there's a picture behind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we're sitting in a it's, it's not the Brazil room, but there are lots of pictures <laughs> of Roberto Zevedo. Um, so, so yeah, so, so that happened. And I, and I, and I got, got into this, uh, this internship here. Then I did another internship at the ICC in Paris. You know, they have the Permanent Court of Arbitration. They have this mediation center, so, you know, they have a little bit of dispute resolution between parties. So at this point, well, before that, I have two questions. Uh, one, do you have any story about when you met Acevedo? So, yeah, no, he, I mean, I actually, yeah, no, he, he struck me as a very, very, uh, you know, you know, pleasant and wanted to know our stories. He was, you know, he was always a, a very, very nice guy to talk to. Uh, what can I say? I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah, and I... Uh, I, I think, well, for example, I mean, this is simple, but, but I, I remember when he would, come in, he, would, uh, he would come in and everybody would stand up and he would just crack a joke and say, you know, don't need to stand up for me. Now, I don't know what would happen if people didn't stand up, <laughs> but, but, but it's clear that, you know, he, he just, let's say it's this sort of Brazilian and more Carioca or even Bahia, he's from Bahia, which is a state in the North, this relationship with authority that is a bit, has to be a bit fluid by definition, you know? That, that, that uh, rings completely true from my experience knowing him, like he was like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, you're, you're telling me a bit about your your progression as a lawyer, but it seems more like a, like a practitioner, you were doing that. When did the, did you always know that you wanted to go into academics? Yeah, or when I did so. that like, sorry, go on. When did that like hit you? Uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I think I always knew, yeah. Um, you know, my, my, my father, I said, was a lawyer, my, my grandfather was an academic, and I think he's a bit, uh, I was also a soldier, I fought here in, in, in Italy. Uh, he was a soldier in World War II. Uh, one of the, not many, but, you know, quite uh, numerous uh, Brazilian soldiers, and uh, then became a, a professor himself. Um, and so uh, that was always, uh, let's say, in the cards. My dad was also, uh, my, dad, my father also uh, did, taught. taught as well at the university, this sort of adjuncting. Um, so I, uh, that was also something that I was interested in. And, and also, I think I like, I've always been interested in sort of digging deeper into these uh, more, I wouldn't say philosophical, but you know, how do things actually work beyond the application of the norm, etc., etc. You know, why do we do what we do? You know, how do these things that we like to call states relate to each other? Uh, and these were all the questions that were on my mind, even when I, you know, as, when, when I was doing this, this highly practical work. Then, I mean, I have to say, I've been in a lot of institutions before joining the University of Amsterdam, so if, if you want me to cut it short at some point. No, 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 I, I love that. I love to hear, because actually, a lot of the audience of this podcast, at least the ones that reach out to me and tell me, are young professionals. So they like, and I've told my story many different times, which is similar to what you said. I never plan to, I, I never plan like, okay, I'm going to work for the mission of Israel in Geneva. <laughs> doesn't, I don't think you can even plan yeah. that. But it just happy coincidences and yeah, yeah. exactly right and and, and and I think I, I don't know I think some people I have the impression they do plan right some people always wanted to be where they are and I'm happy for them I, I envy those people <laughs> I am not one of those <laughs> no yeah I, I like to say I took the scenic route you know and I'm still taking it because and I, I've been using this analogy these days because I precisely I'm talking to a lot of students and they often are anxious you know especially if they're getting a bit older they're like oh I'm a bit of an older professional you know it, it, does this work. And I always tell them, um, you know, there's the episode of The Simpsons where they, it, it's, the, it's the monorail episode. Yeah, it's one of the brilliant episodes yeah. written by Conan O'Brien. Oh, wow, well, you're, you're <laughs> much more knowledgeable about these things than I am. But I tell them, you know, at the end they say, well, we never did anything like the monorail again except the, the giant magnifying lens and the, 
and then you throw it. Like, yeah. yeah, and the escalator to nowhere, right? Yeah. And so a career, a career is a bit of like an escalator to nowhere. So, you know, you can, and people say, well, this is a step up for you, but then a step up towards what? I mean, it's not, yeah, of course, you know, uh, you, people want to, you know, have, make a difference in the world and they want to make money, right? Of course, that's obvious, but they also want to have, you know, prestige and all that. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's no, you know, we're all going to the same place, right? So it's just a matter of what you do in between. And of course, having economic security is essential. And that's what they're really worried about often. Uh, but it's, uh, but in terms of, you know, you know don't, uh, some people, you know, will be do, do, do masters you, at 25 and others will get there when they're 50, 65. And that's fine. Yeah. But this is, this is true. And from what you're saying, when you, when you were going through all of these institutions, I mean, because right now you're looking at from 2020 hindsight. But when you were going through these institutions, what was in your mind? What was like the goal that you had? I, I don't know. I think, again, I, I wanted to or, have... Or were I, you I, feeling I, like this yeah, even I, then? I knew I wanted to be an academic and to get there I needed a PhD. Um, but, you know, whatever happened in between, I just always wanted to be doing the, the, the nicest thing that I could be doing at the moment. So I was just... Um, yeah, so for example, I, I mean, I, I got uh, quite good grades in, 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 in France, so it was, you know, again, almost, I don't want to say it's a good decision, almost like a happy coincidence. Um, and, then, and then with that, I thought I could apply for good institutions. I applied to Cambridge uh, and to other places that, um, and then, I'm going to just say this, okay, while, on record. I applied to Cambridge, Oxford, the LSE, and the Graduate Institute. And I was taken up by Cambridge and Oxford and rejected by the LSE and by the Graduate Institute. So you see, I mean, if, you know, most people think that uh, Cambridge is super high, but actually, you know, that I was rejected by other places. Uh, and it can be completely random, right? It was partly because Joost uh, had, uh, Joost Powellin, of course, had had two Brazilians already, you know, there was too many. Uh, the LSE, they did a completely different thing from what I, and, and of course, I had no information about this. I ended up doing... Did you, did you ask him, like, why you didn't take me? Uh, well, I, I had met, met him here, you know, I had talked to him, and he's always really open, but, you know, of course, he always can, you know, there are limited resources. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and actually, this is, this is something very important, and thank you for bringing it up, because I think that many young professionals, whenever they don't get into the program they were hoping for, they think that their life is over. I'm like, no, your life has not even started. Like, this means nothing in the greater exactly. scheme of things. Yeah, exactly. And you can only control your half of the application, right? So there's their half and then you have no control over and there's always an element of randomness, if not for no other reason, because you know, you, sometimes you have two really good people and you have to pick one. And then it goes for everything to, from you know, personal preferences regarding topic to nationality to uh, all these days, you know, you have gender balances to take into account, which is good. But I'm just saying that maybe you're just the wrong person at that point in time and maybe next year you're not, right? Yeah. Um, so definitely, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely something that I learned. Actually, like now that you're mentioning that, it reminded me when I was in the US studying, it was when Brazil was having its moment in the sun, uh, was doing financially really well. And all of the opportunities that were given to Latin Americans were taken by the Brazilians. Yeah. And not, not Mexico was like a, an afterthought. But that got me here. Yeah. Had oh. I stayed, maybe I would have, maybe I would be now in San Francisco, who knows? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and of course, now that afterwards, Mexico is now doing really well. well we're right doing better, but and I don't think that we have ever reached the height that Brazil was at that point. Yeah, uh, it was good, and there's this discussion of whether it cost us a steer later on, or if it was just a you know a coincidence that that it, you know the, the the rise preceded the fall. Uh, but uh, but yes, so it was that, yeah that that was the you know again it, it's you and your circumstances right that's Ortega y Gasset. Uh, so uh, you know it's it's never only about you, and so so yeah so I got this the, I went to Cambridge in the end because they offered me a scholarship so this was after you were in all of these institutions then you went to do your PhD yes exactly. this was around well with I, you? I had an internship right so it wasn't like a, it wasn't a, had been and this just sounds like a, a strong thing uh, but uh, then I did my PhD and it was with Lauren Bartels who also again became a big name in the field for, through no merit of my own you know it could have been uh, my, my supervisor at, at Oxford would have been Stephen Talmon who's more of a UN lawyer my uh, my my life may have been completely different, um, and, and yeah, and, and, and Lauren is a great lawyer, and also you know again again uh, becoming uh, also kind of a practitioner now. 
And how was your experience at Cambridge? What can you tell me about it was, Cambridge? It was great. Yeah, it was quite nice. It was quite relaxed, actually. I mean, I, I remember like people who were doing things in in some other institutions that I would not name. Thought of. <laughs> you, you can know, tell me. This experience in the, on record. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you later on. So they, they they thought of the experience of studying in general and and, and academic uh, life as being you know this very hard thing where you have to all these deadlines and programs and, and courses. And in Cambridge, they essentially trusted their selection, right? So they just, you had almost no obligations during the, during the program and a lot of opportunities. So you could go and go to, you know, watch this, watch that. You can enroll for classes in whichever department you want. But you, and you have to, you had to produce one um, piece, you know, just at the, in, at the end of the first year so that they would know that, you know, they didn't make a mistake. But other than that... And then you could go to the Lauterpath Center, James Crawford, the later judge James Crawford, uh, was, uh, was then the, the director, so he had a lot of really good people speaking. Uh, and it also allowed me to do all kinds of things while I was doing, doing that, including an internship again uh, at the legal service of the, of the European Commission. Um, I you know, wasn't an a at national, and they took me anyway, um, where I was with Gustavo Luengo, uh, James Flatt, um, so, you know, lots, lots of good people as well, which, from whom I learned a lot. And when, when uh, this happened to me, I'm curious if it happened to you, when I was studying in the U.S., I had like this, this feeling that they had made a mistake with me, that someone was going to come and say like, hey, like, uh, we made a mistake, uh, you shouldn't yeah. be here. I had that, I don't know if uh, yeah, maybe well, you did call, They call this imposter syndrome, <laughs> right? Like, I never had that, and I don't think it's and the merit of my own. I think as in, it has to do with how much serotonin my body produces. <laughs> I, I, I've never, but I, it's funny, because I, 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 I've never, and some people talk, people say, talk about, so it's a very common feeling, but I don't know, for, for some reason related to, I don't know, what happened to me when I was three years old, I never felt mm -hmm. like this was Maybe it was problem. because you have, Brazil has won four, four championships, four World Cups? Exactly, <laughs> that's exactly it. So it, including 1994, when I was at a crucial age of my development, you know, seeing Romario and Bebeto making, scoring goals, that was the, you know, the, the defining moment of my personality, which, I mean, who knows, right? But, um, but yeah, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a, yeah, so I, I was always, sort of okay uh, in, in going to places and seeing what, what, what happens there. Then I went back to, to Cambridge and then my, scho I ran, I, my scholarship ran out. So I it was, it had a scholarship for three years, I hadn't finished the thesis and I had to find something to do. And so so I started, you, the, the program you have to finish the, the thesis in three years? Well, the, let's say the, the, my scholarship was for three years, and okay. then I, you know, I could uh, apply for other funding. And then I, the funding I found was to go to Milan and work with Giorgio Sacerdoti. Yeah. So, so. So you've been like going through like all the the legends. Yeah. Go, exactly. Compl completely by, by by accident, right? Just stumbling upon my upon without knowing uh, much. And I think you know it's a good way. Again, I'm I'm a discoverer rather than a planner. Some people are planners, and they first plan what they have to do, and then they, they do. And then when I, I just discover, I just, yeah, so I went to, I, I knew who Giorgio Sacerdoti was, of course, but, you know, not, not to the full extent. I knew I had read reports and that he, his, he had, was a former global member, but I didn't, I don't think I even realized what this meant, you know, and how, 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 how much, uh, let's say, wisdom there was, you know, and how, how much experience there was there. And uh, from Milan, so I got this, uh, this, uh, this scholarship, was able to finish the thesis and went to... How was the process to work on your dissertation? Because I guess that can be like a daunting endeavor. Yeah. So the, the process was many years of you know, slow work and doing all kinds of interesting things and then two months of crazy, um, crazy uh, work in Milan. Uh, what, even my, my then uh, flatmate, who is Leonardo Borlini, who, who also you know, people know sometimes, uh, is... a uh, is uh, is more of a uh, financial, uh, you know, IMF lawyer, but um, but he yeah, he was too, got worried because I was you know he would go to sleep I was working he would wake up I was working, but I quite like having these 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 parts of work, and and that's because and I, you told you told me to to record some stories that's because I got an offer to go to the, to Florence to the EUI, and work with Petros. Uh, and and then uh, and then but the, it was conditional upon me. Uh, successfully defending my thesis. That's how it was worded, and it was very, that's going to be very important. 
because I couldn't, they, the way it works in the UK is that you defend your thesis and then they make corrections or no correction, minor, major or no corrections. And of course, if you had to have the diploma, then that wouldn't have worked because if I had any corrections, then it wouldn't would work. But successfully defending, it could do. So I just you know, wrote very quickly over the next two months. James Crawford, who was on my committee, was very, who chaired the committee, was, I was very lucky to have. So I'll always be grateful for him because he was amazing in, in setting up a scheme so that I could defend on time. And then Petros was on the, also the committee. Also? Yeah, exactly. And, and, so, and actually, it was very interesting because I I'd had the defense. So it was, oh yes, this was okay, let's go to football again. This was <laughs> World Cup 2014. Yeah. And I had a, a good Swiss friend, Hikmat Maleh, this criminal law here in Geneva, uh, who I met uh, in Cambridge. And he and his other friend had, his, other, his friend had a brother who worked for FIFA and they got some tickets as part of this. And we had to pay for them, of course, but they got some tickets. And, uh, and so we, we went, so, and this was 2014, so this was exactly the time. So, and then I had to submit the thesis. So what happened was I, w I went on the plane to Brazil with the thesis revising. On the plane. <laughs> we, we watched, I you know, you, I know the, the, watch, the, the, the matches better than I did. I think we, but then, then I remembered them. So we went to, I think it was Pernambuco, one, no, one state in the Northeast where there was Mexico, uh, yeah, well, it was, it was Mexico playing because they had all the luchadores and then the, the, the people, you know, in, in, in costumes. It was a lot of fun. Then I printed another version with my marks. And then we flew to Sao Paulo where there was Argentina, Switzerland, maybe. Um, um, and then, and then, I, then a friend of mine submitted in Cambridge. I just sent it to her, the final piece. Um, and then I flew to defend. So I flew to defend uh, during the World Cup. I successfully defended, got a piece of paper to sell. So first of all, like in, the, in the defense, I went to James Crawford and said, thank you. He says, well, this is clear. You've successfully defended, so you, you're good to go. And I, 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 shook, I shook Petros' hand and said, well, see you at the EUI in September. He was like, oh, you were coming. So he had no idea that he was going to be both my, my, my supervisor in the next stage. And so, you know, sometimes you think that you, for you, you, it's very important that people have an opinion on you. But, you know, these people meet so many people, especially young people, you know, you, you, you cannot juggle everyone. So don't think if you had an embarrassing moment, it's very likely that they, they won't remember this, right? Yeah. So if you're talking about young lawyers, you know, for you who had the embarrassing moment, for you it's very important, but yeah. most people don't really remember. You can just write to them and, as if nothing had happened and they won't remember your problem. <laughs> uh, and, and, and introduce yourself. That's something I always do. I always do until people tell me to stop doing that, right? So introduce yourself, remind people who you are, etc. Um, so yeah, so I flew there and from there I flew to Florence to just sign my contract, make sure I was able to go there. And so I watched the 7-1 from Florence in, in a bar. This is the only Brazilian uh, experiencing in a mix of uh, relief that my life was settled for the next year. And, uh, you know, this, just seeing that uh, a spectacle uh, play out in, my, in, in front of me. <laughs> so, That's a really nice uh, story how, like, what you're talking about, like, exactly about the coincidences and how things work out. And then you were in Florence for so, one yeah, year. Again, I told you it was going to be long. Ah. <laughs> so no, but I, don't, I have no, I have no deadline here. And, uh, no, 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 we can stay but, here all night. <laughs> but, but just say, so sorry. You're no, 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 you tell me. So from Florence, I got hired by, so then Hélène Huysabri, who had been my supervisor with my master's, was uh, founding, uh, you know, the Max Planck Institute in Luxembourg. Um, and then uh, there were applications open. I applied because, you know, you had only one year and I had, and she said, well, I need you in two months. So I had to leave a bit earlier. It was fine. And then I got there and I had a five-year contract. I was happy, you know, it's Luxembourg, it's a nice place. Actually, you know, people generally have this, uh, this idea that Luxembourg is a boring place. I really liked it. We had a really international team. Uh, she really hired really good people and from all over the world. So it was a very, a very exciting time. Then something happened. One day I get an email saying, you have applied to the WTO, I don't know, two years before, you know? Uh, and I had an interview actually with, with uh, lots of, with uh, Kerry Abery, I think maybe Werner was on the panel. Uh, so, 
and, and, and then, but I didn't get the position, right? So I, I interviewed, I think when I was in Milan, I interviewed because I wanted you know, a job and the WTO seemed like a great place. And, and I got the call, uh, the, the, the email and say, well, if you are still interested, we may have a position uh, you know, that we're, we're, we're interviewing people because it's one of these short-term contracts. So two years later, Yeah, two years later. So I think yeah. So and then I so I I, I, I had a video interview with uh, with uh, Valerie Hughes and uh, Gabriel Marceau, and uh, it was great. And it, it went really nice, really well. They asked me about uh, to talk about a report. I had just read Peru Agricultural Products. I had uh, some things I disagreed with. So it was you know they 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 had a good impression. Uh, yeah, and I got this one year contract. But you had a five year contract. Okay. So I, no, I had a five-year contract there, yeah, in Luxembourg. Yeah, yeah, there. So I had to abandon it, yeah. So I. So, so you so I, you, yeah. you waited your options and you said like, I stay. I, I, like I th I thought that this would be, and I think it, I was it was the right call. This would be an invaluable experience, right? So the only reason maybe I met I know you is because I was here for a year, you know, and and I thought you know this is first of all you know I I need to. Try this. I mean, first of all, it's a great experience. Whatever, ha whatever else happens in my life, you know, being uh, when you're at WTO. Um, and second, I want to try this out. You know, see what what it's like. Uh, you know, the the be where sausages are made, right? But was it an easy decision, or at the time? I mean, it it was. Uh, the, the hard part was, let's say, disappointing Elaine, who you know had uh, built her, her 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 team of researchers and was had really something really interesting going on there, uh, had projects, etc. And and there you know there wasn't the, the chance to, to go back there, but uh, but in terms of uh, you know the, the decision in terms of yeah the, of what I what I thought would be interesting to do in the in, the, in that vein that I was telling you know just do what feels better right now I think I really wanted to come back I also knew uh, people because I had done so during my PhD thesis I mean again I had I have too many things but in, in the during Milan I spent some time here in the economics division. Economics Research Division with Patrick Lowe back then, and again to just to tell you, one of the stories that I could tell is with Patrick Lowe, and I'm again one of the things that I'm very proud of. He probably doesn't remember it, <laughs> but he asked, he said, "Oh, oh yeah, they gave us a lawyer. You know, lawyers are an expensive bunch," and I told him, "Yes, they're probably expensive, but what's your counterfactual?" And I've, again, I'm very proud of this, having used this particular economic jargon on Patrick Lowe. He probably doesn't remember it, uh, but it was a fun time. And did that, he, did and he that, laugh? Sorry? Did he laugh? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think so. No, he, he laughed, but he just doesn't, you know, he, he probably, again, he, he, young people tend to not be. But, but then I, I had known people here, so I know uh, Stella, who's still in the economics division, uh, Rod Zadnia, who's uh, in, mm. the, in, the, in legal affairs. Um, Alberto, so I had uh, Carlo, I had some friends from the time of, of when, when I did this, this, this sort of research stay here. It's also like, because people who do trade, it's a very small world. Like everyone knows each other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, that is good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I say it's a movable feast, you know, like at some point, exactly, you go, you go, you go move from city to city and eventually you just meet the same people in different capacities. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, a, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And but, but here when you were in the WTO, you were in legal affairs. I was in legal affairs, yeah. For one year. For one year, yeah. You were doing uh, cases. Yes. So, and then it was interesting, and again, it's a good story, but it's one of those stories that you, know, you sometimes don't want to talk about. But I think it, it's interesting because when I got here, uh, uh, so uh, I, I, I worked uh, with uh, Marisa Goldstein, who I just met uh, you know, for, for coffee here. And I sit down and she, you know, gives me the instructions and she said, well, you do it in Iraq. And I had no idea what Iraq was. And, and when I said, well, what is Iraq? She looked at me like I had just applied to be, to, I had just been employed at Disney World and didn't know who Mickey Mouse was, you know. And Iraq, of course, uh, if you've been to a U.S. law school, is uh, issue rule analysis uh, conclusion, right? It's the, the way you structure a legal argument as you uh, learn it in law school. And I think, I mean, I have this pet theory that it's partly responsible for the mess we're in this Iraq system. <laughs> Because we, I don't know, we don't need to go deeper into it, but I feel that the fact that the adjudicator, before applying the rule, just writes five paragraphs where just you know discussing the rule in theory 
and then then this might be part of the, the of of the issue with the whole presidential issue because it's not about precedent, right? It's not about the precedent of the decision. It's about this part where the organ just des- applies the rules and or just discusses the rule in the abstract. But anyway, so I learned. We what were the actually article. discussing that like in a room like real nearby yesterday. Okay, interesting. <laughs> See, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I think it's it's it is it is it is interesting. But again, that's how the, the, the game was played, and it's also part of the influence of these American universities, which may be good, may be bad, but you know that it's clearly it's clearly in this world. And uh, then I learned about Iraq uh, painstakingly, and, and it was it was okay. So it, we we ended up working quite nicely in the end. But then I, I let's say. I, but the conclusion from my WTO experiment was that I wanted to be an academic. So I it started... confirmed something that you yeah. already... Yeah, no, I, yeah, it was always in the cards. Let's say that was always going to be the thing. But I just, you know, I, I felt that, again, I, I, I had to, to test the theory, right? Um, the, as, an, as a good scientist, what you do, you test. You know, that was, this was my uh, no hypothesis. The, the, so I, I, I checked and Without, I, with no disrespect to those who work at the WTO. Exactly. My, <laughs> some of my best friends at WTO are WTO employees for a long time um, and, 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 and very happy about it. And I'm, I'm glad to do when, I, when I get to meet them again. But, uh, but again, it, it just, it just uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, when I looked at the people who had been here 20, 30, 40 years, and I looked at uh, Petros Mavroidis, George Sacerdoti, Alain Huisabri, I wanted, like, the, I, the, the, it spoke to me more being a person like them than being a person who mm. had been here. Again, fighting complicated battles, just you know, doing Valerie, for example, as someone I, I really admire and the way she ran, ran the ship when it, let's say to me, it only became clear afterwards the ship was already in trouble, you know, then, then, then uh, you know, then, but then that, that wasn't, let's say, it wasn't my interest to, 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 to be doing that. I wanted to be the one discussing ideas, showing up once in a while to talk about cases, maybe one day to be adjudicate. But, uh, but so I started... And I think that's also because there's, not all, but uh, there's many professors who don't have the, the practical experience, which you do. So you know how it is. Exactly, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's quite, it can be a liability. Yeah? So you know, sometimes you know too much and, uh, and you, you end up... Uh, Talking, you know, you, you end up uh, being being the person who says, "Well, the WTO doesn't look like exactly like this, but it, it but doesn't work exactly like this." And then sometimes people like their stereotypical ideas of how the WTO works, and so they think of of your 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 precision as as a bit of a liability. But uh, to go back, so so yeah, so I started applying for jobs. Uh, uh, and then uh, spoke to to Jos Powellin here again, and and got who uh, was generous enough to to offer me some sort of uh, fellowship here, from which I started applying for academic jobs, and uh, and and then so that, then I got to, to Amsterdam. So and that's hope you know, that's the let's say the for 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 the time being that's on, uh, where for I the am time on being. the road. Yeah. Well, Amsterdam is one of the best European cities, one of the best cities in the world, not only European. Uh, it's very lively, uh, and it's like a, like a lot is happening in Amsterdam. It is. I mean, yeah, it's a great place to be. And I mean, again, I can't. I can't. It's one of those things. Again, I, I somehow ended up being uh, this lucky, right? And I, I can't complain about the city. It's a really nice place to end up. I might even learn Dutch one day properly. <laughs> I can. I can buy things, but they they give you no incentive to learn Dutch because they everybody there speaks perfect English. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, although I, when I come back to Geneva and I see the lake, my you know, uh, my heart uh, wobbles. I I sometimes actually I used to take take it for granted, uh, but now I cannot believe that we are here in the WTO, sitting across from the lake, and you see it every day, and you can walk by the lake every yeah. day, enjoy it. It is. Yeah. But I think I think that's also one of the reasons why maybe we're not progressing so much in the WTO. <laughs> Well, well, they, they, they were here during the gut years as well, so that, that, that can't be it. Um, but how, how has it been, so now you are a professor full-time, but your, your interests go beyond uh, trade law. It's more international, what are your academic So, uh, so I, I'm again, at the, at, in Amsterdam, I was hired uh, uh, there initially for a year of 
and then the second year they get, gave me the position uh, fully and then uh, gave me also the coordination of this program in international trade and investment law. Uh, which is the reason I'm here because I have students, you know, that's, that's, that's what we've been doing this week. We, we come to Geneva a week, a year to, to just check, you know, for, so that they can look, look, look at the, the institutions, talk to people, see where they see themselves uh, working next. So this is a, an LLM program? Yes. It's an LLM program and it's great. We have students from all over the world. I think once I counted like 58 nationalities, you know, and a good, also good mix. You know, half of them are European, half of are from outside the EU and very, very nicely distributed. How many students per, per year? So we used to have a, a, a liberal approach to, 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 to acceptance and this became uh, problematic because for it's let's say victims of our own success we became uh, very popular um, and so we had to ask because in the Netherlands it's something I, I didn't know but they work with the right to education so you actually have to have an objective reason to reject the student you cannot just say you know I don't like this person or you know Rodolfo is better than, than the other guy uh, but that works of course very nicely when you have the you know uh, the if you know about trade and services you have the invisible language barrier to services, right? So if you, everything is in Dutch, of course, you have a population of maybe 20, 25 million, depending on how you count, people who can actually take these courses. And what's happening in the Netherlands in general, especially after Brexit, is that people want to take, you know, if they offer English language courses, people just flock from all around the world, from Brazil, from Mexico, from Indonesia, from India, China. And, and it's great, it's a success, but it also strain, puts a strain uh, on, on your resources. So we had to, to cut it back. And so we, we, we had, when, when I joined, we had about 40. And in 2021, we had, uh, we had 120. 120. Yeah. Um, so that was, and then it was, of course, it, 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 became, it became difficult because, you know, I, I, in my first year, I knew everyone's names. You know, I, I talked to them, I knew their, their trajectories, I knew, you know, oh, there's a position that I think this person could do. And then with 120, it, it's very hard to do that. So we're now, we're now we cut back and now we, we can become, a, a, we became a, a, a more selective in, in the way we can, we can, we can uh, choose students. And, and now we are back to 40. So that's the idea. I mean, I th we, we now decided it's a bit little, so we wanted to stop. We cannot have a full name, but you know, I think we, let's say, it, it, we're, gonna, we're gonna keep it this way. So I, I think between 40 and 60 from, for the next uh, few years, it's not a target for the program, uh, but it's, uh, let's say, it's, I think it's what we can do with our resources. Uh, well, before I interrupted you, you were talking about your areas of interest, because I see that oh, yeah. it's, not, it's not only trade, It's brother. Well, as I said, like I like to, I, I like how people interact, right? So, so I have this book coming out, which is my 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 my, my PhD thesis, which I still have to publish, um, and that is going to be about uh, how you know I mean, the, the basic question is why does anyone care what an international court does, right? Which is an interesting one, right? Because it's one that you know in law, you know, people outside the law are always wondering. Uh, outside international, even domestic, even especially domestic lawyers are like, why, why doesn't anyone care what we say in this building? And why, why does it matter if we say a report has been adopted or unadopted? And so I came up with, you know, went to legal sociologists and whatnot, did very, uh, let's say, interesting academic uh, work. And, and then I get to, to, to remedies. So it, it's a book about remedies, but to get to why do international judicial remedies matter, I had to do all this, uh, this trajectory of looking into what political scientists think about it, international relations scholars, and all that. And, and that's the kind of thing I like. I like thinking uh, about things, uh, let's say, again, I, uh, the, when, of course, if you are here in this building and you are asked to apply, you know, uh, Article uh, 3 of the SPS agreement, you have to look and read at the article and see if it applies to the circumstances. But I'm, as an academic, I'm more interested in how do we build these rules and what do they say about the way states interact, right? Um, and I think one of the, I don't want to say failure, right? But one of the mismatches that got us to where we are, I feel is a bit of rule application without this stepping back to see what is this rule doing here and what is it for? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like, all of these people are extremely smart. I'm not saying the contrary, but, but I feel that the kind of, you know, I, again, I may be influenced because I just listened, I just heard or reheard Mavroidis talk and he was talking raving about uh, Bob Hudek and, and Fredis Rosso. <laughs> so, and of course, when you read some of the GATT reports, 
it's a bit like that, right? And I don't know if that would fly with a new institution. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this highly legalistic approach where we have to go through each word and decide whether unjustifiably means A or B, I don't know if this was necessary given, you know, the way the things evolved. But when you see how the way they did it in the GATT, it was just, you know, oh, this is discrimination, you know, over. So I don't know if, again, I don't know if we could do this, but I feel that at some point, I don't, th I don't think we lost, I don't think the people doing it didn't know what they were doing. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying the way that the reports became drafted, it's almost like the principle is impossible to gauge from the actual report. So, you know, when I teach, when we teach students now, like I, I, I still teach U.S. shrimp, not because it's a better case, but because you can read it. Try teaching, uh, you know, EC, EC seals. You can't because like the, the actual difficult questions are not there. They're just being outsourced to some sort of legalese that just is go, goes all over the place, says the one thing and it's opposite, and then concludes with just an application. And you can just say, you know, it's the, the application is discriminatory and here's the problem. Um, so basically what you're saying is that there were too many lawyers well, doing what lawyers do. <laughs> It's, it's possible, no, we, we're, we're, um, of course, uh, this, it's no secret that this is being discussed. I don't have a solution to this in the sense that, of course, the incentives are there for states to, you know, for members to, to push the interpretation of rules that will most favor them. And then, of course, if you can get a binding report that says it, why wouldn't you? Uh, you wouldn't be serving your, member, your, 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 your capital if you did it. And then if you are here in this building, you wouldn't be serving the agreements if you didn't do apply the rule. But, um, but yeah, I, I wonder if there is an alternative. And maybe there isn't, right? So there's a, a you know, in the GATT often, you know, when you, you start from what Hudek used to call a diplomat's, a, a diplomat's approach to jurisprudence. So they have some idea and to say, well, there's nullification here. But of course, once you have the fourth, fifth case, you start relying on previous cases. And I, it's hard once these accumulate, then you have to distinguish between cases. So it's, it's, let's say, it's, there is no, maybe there isn't an alternative to law, or I mean, you can call it something else. But I just wonder if how we got to the stage where, you know, instead of a, a report being 60 pages long, it's 450, and then you have a 2,000, you know, that that's, is, was this, was this path, the path that led us here necessary? And of course, it's a, this is a, almost a cosmetic issue, right? Because, you know, you have whatever, it's a, it's a file and you can download it and print it and it, the size doesn't matter, but it matters, right? It matters both, both for public, uh, let's say, accountability of the institution even, that people, you know, can, can actually read the report and there were efforts to, 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 to make this better. I'm not saying there weren't, you know, that more recently now you can read the conclusions in more logical form. But, but again, I want, there's, there's something that, I feel that having these many pages shows that there's something underneath that isn't working properly, right? Yeah, and I don't think that was ambition from the beginning. I think it just went that way and continued. Yeah, it's, it's a mix of path dependency, maybe it's the opposite, right? So it's a mix of, the, of, of bad choices and path dependency and, and, and happy coincidences. I, I am a lawyer and when I must say that as my own professional experience has evolved, I have, even though I, I'm still a lawyer, I think I have understood that the law is not everything. Exactly. That's something. Ve I guess that's something very important for lawyers, especially, to understand because there is the that that uh, that that risk, right? That lawyers and and again, I, I if you are a good lawyer, you know, sometimes the for you the law is everything, right? That's like that's your, let's say suing other people is not. Uh, uh, is not the world, but it's your job. <laughs> and, and responding to lawsuits in the best way you can to protect your client, in this case the member, is also your job. Uh, incidentally, it also pays your bills, but you know, but it, even if it, even if it, like, was a, when you have capped fees, if you're a good lawyer, you're gonna go all the way to, to do the best to, 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 to protect your, your client. Um, but yeah, so I think, I mean, the question is, should it be the lawyer's job to decide that the law is not the solution, right? Maybe then they should call other people to make this decision. Um, the the and I think again it's 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 and then there's this, of course this uh, 
They say it's a US-EU rift. I wonder, because US lawyers are all, you know, they, all of these places are also managed by US lawyers. So, because uh, I, I think the EU, let's say, embodies this attitude of where the law is very important. And of course, again, highly competent lawyers in the commission uh, uh, who, who do this kind of thing. And then they, they are, you, you can see that they are, they are really good at their stuff uh, and, and they're, they're doing their job. Uh, but, you know, the U.S. Uh, lawyers are also the ones raising a, l- a number of issues. So I don't know if it's a transatlantic issue as much as people say. It's more that um, the lawyers have, you know, and as you, you know, Keynes uh, had this thing where he said uh, about, I think, at the, at the, you know, the, even in, during the negotiations of the, of the ITO, and he said something along the lines of, our system is designed to work, and your system is designed, to the, he was saying to the US, to provide living for a large number of lawyers. Uh, uh, and, and, um, and of course, again, I, I think, I, yeah, then you go back to Patrick Lowe, right? What's the counterfactual? If you didn't have lawyers, maybe you have what you have now, which is much worse, right? You have st- countries retaliating against each other, you know, all kinds of, of deadweight losses happening. So, so it's, it's not great, maybe lawyers are this, but although expensive, the, the most efficient way of getting things, things done. But, but at the same time, uh, they can overlook, um, or at least, let's say, be seen to overlook some of the important issues. Well, but I, I've been in these discussions where we're talking about some of these issues, and these things that you are talking about are things that are being discussed. So it is, it is there. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to reach a solution, I hope so. Uh, but all of these are part of the discussion. Yeah, yeah. so again, to go back to my academic, Hersch Lauterpacht said in a piece he wrote, he writes, between uh, total uh, lawlessness and total subjection to the law, there is no middle term. So the question is, can you find a middle term between so total subjection, subjection to the law and total lawlessness? That's the, that is the challenge. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to, because I have been teaching law students. Mm-hmm. You are in a different league than I am. My, what I want to achieve is very modest. I just want to give them an overview of what uh, international trade uh, rules are and what, but very general. In my experience, it is sometimes difficult to make my students understand that. Your students are advanced because my students are from first level, in their first degree. In your, in your case, your students are, they actually come and they want to learn this. What's the main challenge that you see like, teaching your students? So I think you're, I think you're right if I understand you correctly. So you're, I think that the challenge that we see is that increasingly we want to, t- we want, let's say there's a general movement and it's, coincides with what I would like to do of, you know, not having a law class that is on class, you know, lecture one, article one, lecture two, article two, lecture three, article three, you know, and then it goes to 11, 20, 24. That's the basic gap package, right? Um, And and because that gives them the wrong impression that the solutions to cases is in thinking very deeply about what the word likeness means. <laughs> and this is what legal research is about. Like, the order, you know, this is what the world needs, is more clarity on what the word like product means. Uh, or on the, on, on the, wor- on the word uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, in Article 1, you know, what is the, uh, what is the, the, what is it called? Immediately and unconditionally. You know, what does unconditionally mean uh, in the abstract? And of course, again, this is not uh, what this is about. This may be the way how you get there as a lawyer, but the case, this is not what, what this is about. It's not about that you, you, can, you can just clarify the meaning of words. And this is something that you know, ling- not only linguists know and have their theories about it, but every you know, good lawyer knows that, that there's a, there's, the law is the language you speak to address the problem, but the law itself is not. Let's say the the problem exists beyond the law. Anyway, so what what the question is: How do we, at the same time, teach them this language, so that if they, later on they have they come to work with with uh, 
with uh, Gabriel Marceau or with Marisa or with uh, Valerie Hughes and, and, uh, and, and they don't know what Article 2 is and I'm embarrassed because you know, we, have a graduate, we have one of our graduates here, Kristina Yotova. Um, uh, uh, she was great, was one of, one of our, our very bright students. And, uh, and she, again, you know, she, she, I, they, if, if they come here or if they go to a law firm that does this, you know, they have to know because they did a master's in trade law. Uh, if not, they're going to say, yeah, they didn't teach me, yeah, they didn't teach me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, then, but then you also get, want to give them an idea of what the stakes are and what the actual problem. So I think this is, I think, the biggest challenge I have is I, how do you still give a law course that isn't just, you know, a politics course where the students leave with lots of opinions but very little knowledge. Um, but, and, and, and how do you like, in, do, do this balance within the always limited time you have between teaching them about the law, teaching them the law and teaching them about the law and what, you know, how it works and how it relates, for example, to politics, um, so that they have this, this deeper understanding. And I am, I am also interested in hearing your, because I'm here in Geneva and sometimes I feel like we're in a bubble. How do you see what's going on here in Geneva and the WTO specifically? You have the opportunity to come here, so it's not something that is new, but how do you see it like from being outside looking in. So, well, yeah, exactly. As, as, as you, you said, I, I, I still consider myself a semi-insider. Yeah, you are. And that uh, I, I value the system. You know, I think it's, it's important that to get to have the rules. Um, it's so, you know, who, who is the we that is considering? Let's say what what is known. Let's say what, when I get uh, you know newspaper, new, uh, what is it? Uh, journalists asking me about the WTO. It's normally used to be a lot of Trump, right? So what happens now? And is the WTO dead? Uh, and now there's uh, the whole uh, CBAM and uh, deforestation regulation. Uh, so I think that that it's clear to people who who know and who who cover this area um, in that uh, you know the WTO and. That's, this has been, uh, you know, I mean, let's say, you know, Roberto Zevedo used to say this all the time, so this is not new, and, and, and the DG, uh, also the new DG, Gozio Kondri Iwela, also, also makes the same point, that the WTO needs to remain relevant, right? And in the sense that it's, it's where everybody knows that this is not where the show is happening anymore, uh, in the sense of uh, new rules being made. It's, it remains an essential institution for the multilateral system, but the new rules are being developed elsewhere. It always still doing adjudication now. It is, remains doing adjudication, but it's not, you know, you now have the ability to appeal a panel report into the void. So, uh, in, in general, I think, uh, let's say, I, I don't think the outside opinion, or at least the informed outside opinion, is that different from here. There is a change in the circumstances of the world. Um, this is not only happening here. I think in the 90s you had all this legalization happening everywhere, right? Lots of new courts were created. And, uh, you know, major powers are now concerned about this and they think it's, it's a, it, it, it went too far in, in a lot of, of situations. And uh, again, the, the, the question again becomes, what's your counterfactual, right? They're just fighting each other instead of, 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 of negotiating two institutions. So I, I, I feel that the WTO is, uh, it, there's the idea of something I called in a recent article, unilateralization of trade governance, right? So trade governance is happening ever more through unilateral instruments. Um, of course, you know, there was always a bit of this, but I think it's fair to say that between 1995 and 2015, it didn't so much, right? So countries wouldn't just unilaterally impose their presence. Of course, you know, the, 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 the shrimp case was during this time, the seals case was during this time. But let's say the solution that, that countries see that solutions to problems are not in negotiating, but it just, you know, putting their foot down. And, and vocalize this is a bit new, right? Uh, well, that, uh, that was a very, very good response. <laughs> Just one last, uh, I mean, in your, in your telling me of your story, you said that you were going through different phases and movements. Now you're at the, at the University of Amsterdam and you're very happy. But do you know what's next? If there's anything? 
I don't know. It, it depends a lot. So, so uh, I, I would have to, I mean, uh, there's lots of circumstances happening, right? So I think uh, there, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to give anyone the impression that this is somehow a pitch to, for, for a new job. I quite like my job. Um, I get to, I have the privilege of, of only doing trade law, basically, uh, partly because uh, we have uh, Stefan Schiel, who is a big arbitration uh, law uh, name, and he, he does, he conducts the, the, the international investment law part of our program. Um, and uh, and I, we get to have this, uh, this, this highly international uh, you know, group of students who, as you well pointed out, and I forget that it's a privilege as well, chose to study international trade and investment law over any other thing. So, you know, you can never guarantee student interest, but this is a pretty good proxy. Um, and, uh, and they, yeah, and so they, the, 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 so it's, 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 let's say, I, let's say it's, again, it, I, I like to take the scenic road. So I don't, is this the final chapter? Uh, that would be, I would be a bit sad, right? So, but uh, but I, but I, again, I quite like it, and I see no, I have, I, I see no, what is, I, I see no cogent reason <laughs> to, to leave Amsterdam at the moment. Well, Geraldo, oh my God, it's been really, a really great conversation. Uh, I just, just before we finish, I've like this new section in the podcast that I'm trying out. Yeah, I heard so. Which, uh, if you're ready, we can, we can go. Yeah. So. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? So the best advice I've ever gotten, I, st I still think of it from time to time. It wasn't from a person, it was from René Descartes, and it's printed on a building in, in Paris, um, where that I used to go to a lot uh, when I was a student there. Um, and it says, and I'm translating here, uh, I have, being like I am with a foot in one country and one foot in the other, because he lived in the Netherlands back in the day, uh, I am happy in that I am free. And I think that's good advice. Yeah, I didn't know it, but yeah, it, it, uh, I also feel it personally. What's the best advice you've ever given? I quite, I mean, I just told you about the escalator. So since I got that out already, I think I'm going give, to give that. I think, I think that, and also for people who are anxious about, you know, being in the field and what's going to be next and how many jobs and I'm applying for so many things. The good thing about jobs is that you only need one. So, you know, you can, 500 can go wrong, only one needs to go, go right. And often you don't know which one it is, right? Yeah. You don't know in advance that you were always right for this job. So, um, and especially there's, uh, again, let me just be a bit of, uh, of a millennial about this. There's a gender issue here also, where women, you know, where men only, um, women only apply to jobs to which they are qualified, and men apply to jobs to which they kind of maybe one day might qualify. So if you're a woman, you're listening this, and you think your job you're, you're interested in, go for it. Yeah, and my wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? What profession? I, if, I, if I weren't a law professor, I might just, I'm just not going to say other type of professor, that doesn't count. <laughs> I would like to, you know, try, try my hand at being a writer of some sort. Ah, and, really? Yeah, let's be the person, you know, who's in a cafe saying that they're going to come up with their novel one day. Yeah, do you write any <laughs> fiction? I stopped. I, the university I did, and I think I should go back to that. But, you know, I, let, let me get the, the, the law book first. After, after. But you should. There's many law professors that are, are writers. So yeah, and there's even, the, what's his name, the, the American ambassador who wrote the, the, yeah, the, the Michael Punk. Many, many diplomats also. What, what's here. the name again? Michael Punk. And he wrote? The Revenant. The Revenant, exactly. You know, and he, also there's a diplomat, an Indian diplomat, his brother... Uh, was the delegate representing India in disputes. He wrote uh, Slumped Up Millionaire. Okay, the see? Book that they, yeah. yeah, so, you know, we're, we're missing out. <laughs> What's something you wish you had known 20 years ago? What's something I wish I had known 20 years ago? Yeah, I, I, I would go with that again. I would go with, like, uh, it's fine, you know, it's, it's going to be all right. I think it's, uh, you don't, don't worry so much about... Uh, you know, your next thing and, you know, maybe how are people going to perceive that you made this change? Does it make sense in your CV? Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and then, you know, uh, nor normally things make things make sense retrospectively. When yeah. you look at what you are and you're like, oh, yeah, that experience I had, that also helped, you know, that you had no idea that, that brought me here. Pineapple in pizza? 
No, I don't know. But let me go for one step further. No, no fish in pizza. I think that's more controversial. <laughs> the pineapple is easy. Even like the, and the Italians put it, right? So why am I to say anything? But, um, Drama or comedy? Drama and comedy. And yeah, I saw that Jorge already did the, 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 the Marx bit, right? On where it's first, a, 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 what is first, a, a tragedy and then a, and then a, a farce. And, and I think, actually, let me just answer that with, a, with some trade thinking. I think it, we're also, what we're going through is almost the opposite. Because if you think about the GATT era in the 1980s, right, that's when Japan started growing. And partly the WTO is, a, is, a, is a, the outcome of the renegotiation of the GATT because the US was applying all these unilateral measures that against Japan because it was afraid that Japan was going to take over, right? So in a sense, that was the farce because Japan was never going to take over. Now it's a tragedy because China actually intends to take over. And of course, uh, when I say tragedy here, I'm quoting John Marsheimer, who wrote uh, this tragedy of great power politics and where he argues from Thucydides that conflict between great powers is inevitable in a way. And Marsheimer has been proven wrong quite a bit over the past year. So maybe we can hope that he'll be wrong again this time. There was a really brilliant response. Now I just came up with this right now. So this is new. Margarita or Caipirinha? Caipirinha. <laughs> then you're, you're getting into my nationalism here. I'm not a nationalist normally. <laughs> Who's your favorite artist of all time? I'll go, but I, I can only say this fast because Jorge was you know, the first victim. So I'll, I think... Um, René Magritte, and then close second, Hieronymus Bosch. Great choices. Not so much advice, but if you could recommend one thing you enjoy, what is it? Recommend? One thing that you enjoy, what one is thing it? I enjoy. I enjoy jogging in new cities that I've never been in. Ah, really? So yeah, I was in Canada last week for a conference, and I managed to jog in five or six different cities. So that's a, I consider them achievements almost. There's actually something I started doing, and I also, whenever I travel, I just want to jog in that city. It's a great way to know a city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the last one, how would you like to be remembered? Yeah, I think my, I'll go with my, what my, my boss would like to would say. I would like to be remembered as someone who completed the book. So that's, that should come out uh, late last year and, and late this year. <laughs> See, that's how, that's how bad it is. So the, the, it, should, it should come out, if not late this year, uh, early next year. Great. Well, it has been great talking to you. I really want to thank you for, for your time. And maybe after your book comes out, you can come back again. Fantastic. Thank you, Yara. Thank you very much. This was the wonderful Rivas Project. I hope you loved it. Can you dig it?